Welcome to the Olive Tree Podcast channel. Whether you're listening from our beloved Durban, South Africa, or from further away, we trust that you would feel welcome and included in what God is doing in our community, and that you feel inspired by today's message. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's, um, it's really good to see you. It's, uh, it's actually a bit late. I mean, as Justy and Matt were trying to figure out if this is Sermon 2 or Sermon 3, the reason, well, I was getting confused, I was just listening to them, because this was supposed to be the sermon that you received last week, but I was sick, uh, and so Ross had to dig really deep and do two in a row. Uh, he seemed to do fine, didn't he? Um, but it's good to be with you. It's good to be on my own two feet uh, for a change and feeling better. Um, I don't have the coronavirus. Uh, you know how when someone's able to tell you as a medical certainty that they're sane, it makes you question because it means at some point they had to have a test. Uh, I feel the same way about corona. You know, the fact that I can tell you as a medical certainty that I don't have corona uh, is maybe going to give you pause uh, for thought. But the process of getting tested uh, got me feeling very sorry for every other virus. I apparently have some other virus. Can you imagine the sibling rivalry that must go on between the viruses uh, when it's like, is it so-and-so? Is it, is it little Johnny? Is it little Johnny? Oh, it's not little Johnny. Oh, it's only you. Oh, not to worry. He has some Karenza C. Um, and so... Uh, I have some other unloved, uncared-for virus, uh, which apparently is out of my system now, and I'm starting to feel a bit better. Thank you, all of those who, who were concerned about me. We're in uh, a sermon series called Take Two. As I've been thinking about this uh, sermon series, it's, uh, it's a bit like that moment uh, when you stand up to do an oral right, at school. Remember those? Uh, and you get up. And the first thing you do is you call the teacher mom by accident, and then as you start to deliver your oral, your voice decides that that's the moment to break. You know that experience uh, where you just want to go like, sorry, ma'am, can I, can I just start again? Can I just try that from the top? Uh, that's, I think, how many of us feel about this year. So 2020 was one of those like spinach in the teeth the whole way through the date kind of experiences where you're like, scratch that, let's just have a do-over. Uh, and so we're going to treat this year as a do-over. And in this sermon, we're going to discuss one of the most amazing opportunities we have to do something over again. Something that we discovered, maybe that 2020 taught us, was causing us pain, and it's time for us to address, and that's the area of our habits. Now, you are pretty much your habits. There's not a lot of difference. Um, and your habits are, are, I suppose, most interesting where we're talking about the stuff you habitually choose to do. Uh, the decisions you make around what you're going to believe and what you're going to do uh, are really important. Those are habits that are, are massively influential in your life. And as I've been thinking about the choices we make uh, and, and the paths we choose to follow habitually, I think there might be two sort of maxims, two churchy phrases that you possibly will be surprised to hear aren't actually out of the Bible, that we often default to using as our kind of guides for how to make choices. Because you're making choices all the time. You are constantly having to decide. And our brains are pretty lazy. What they try to do when we're being confronted with choice after choice after choice all day long, is to find shortcuts and simple one-size-fits-all maxims that can just tell you, oh, ignore that, that's no big deal, take that seriously, do this under these circumstances. And so you will probably default towards one of the two maxims I'm about to tell you, which are sort of churchy, theological concepts for how to make decisions. Um, and as I say, you may be surprised to hear that they're not from the Bible. So there's, there's one that you've probably heard in church world quite often, let go and let God. Have you heard that? Oh, I mean, it just feels amazing to say. <laughs> it's like this like, relaxed kind of, just trust him. Just don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try to control things. 
God knows what's up, uh, and your role as a human is to try to unlearn all your over-responsibility. You might have heard that, and it's leading on some truthful ideas. There's another maxim, though, uh, that kind of competes in the opposite direction with that one. Maybe you resonate with this one. It's God helps those who help themselves. Flipping help themselves is probably how you say it when you're saying it about other people. Uh, and once again, that might sound like a bit dwarf, but if you think about it, there's some scriptural basis for that. It's called sowing and reaping. The concept of sowing and reaping is that you're going to put some stuff into the ground. You're going to consistently sow, and eventually you're going to hit a fertile patch. And then if you put seed into that fertile patch, God will make it grow, according to the parable of the sower, maybe 40, 50, 100-fold. Now, I'm no mathematician, but a hundredfold of zero seeds is still zero crop. It doesn't matter how miraculous the harvest might be if you don't actually sow something into the ground in the first place. So there'll be some of us who default towards a kind of habitual response to the world, which is, I've got to sow. I've got to take responsibility. I've got to do some stuff in order for me to see the results I'm hoping to see from God. Another way to ask this question is kind of, what's God's job and what's my job? And I've been thinking a fair amount about that question, because this isn't just academic. Ask someone whose marriage is falling apart and who's already wrecked one, what they're stressed about most, what they would love to know the answer to. They'd probably love to know, well, what's God going to do? What do I just need to pray that he will miraculously fix? And what's actually about me? What's my job in this? Ask someone whose business is really taking strain, and you've, over the last 18 months, tried to be as good to your employees as you could and good to your suppliers as you could, and now you're getting to the point where your accountant is saying, you're being doff. Just cut your losses. Well, is this one of those, I need to take responsibility, I need to sow, I need to do some smart stuff, and if so, what? <laughs> or is this one of those, hey, just let go and let God, he will sort it out, just continue to float along in faith? What, what should I do? This is not purely academic. Ask someone whose health has been giving them issues time after time, and you start to go like, well, it is let go and let God actually what God wants me to do right now? Or is he maybe calling me to take some more steps, some more responsibility to get to the bottom of certain things, be they physical and medical, maybe they're spiritual, maybe they're emotional, uh, and just kind of letting go and going, oh, well, God will fix it. Maybe I'm just avoiding a conversation he really wants to have with me. So which is it? And is it always both? One interesting example of this in Scripture is, is earning a living, okay? So let go and let God will read you the verses where it says, I'll provide for you, right? Don't worry. The birds of the air, the lilies of the field. And yet, very interestingly, um, you also get in 2 Thessalonians 3 this instruction from Paul. Hey, listen, if you're not going to work, don't expect to eat and stop rashing the church for help. It's in the Bible. So, like, it's a bit of both, I guess. God's saying, hey, let go and let God, I'll provide for you. But also, if you're not prepared to work, don't expect to eat and don't complain about that. That's anecdotal. But what about some more uh, important ones? So, I'm going to lay out a sort of spectrum of a few things in your life, big areas where we're consistently making decisions about what we're going to believe, what we're going to do. We've maybe built some habits around these big areas of your faith. And let's see which one applies. The uh, let go and let God kind of just trust him or the sowing and reaping, uh, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, and the first place I want to look is at your salvation. This is a pretty important personal thing. Now, uh, to explain what I'm going to discuss with regards to your salvation. I've been trying to teach myself how to pray the rosary recently. Do you know what the rosary is? It's, uh, it's like a piece of 
jewelry, essentially. It's this chain or set of beads with a cross on the end, and it's like Morse code. The beads are arranged in specific orders to remind you to pray certain prayers. It's a Catholic thing. Uh, and pretty cool, actually. So there's a whole process every day that you would go as you follow along, duk, 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 along the, reeds, uh, the beads. Uh, you pray this prayer, then that prayer, then you reflect on this mystery out of Jesus' life, then you... And like some of the stuff you're supposed to do in the rosary is you're supposed to pray some stuff about Mary, which is not in the Bible, and there's some stuff that's in the Bible that seems to contradict what's in the rosary, so I ignore those bits. But a lot of it's very cool. Uh, and as we're going to come on to discuss later, these sort of personal habits, personal symbolic processes that help you to connect with Jesus are really important. But there's a point in the praying of the rosary where you get to pray a prayer called the Hail Holy Queen. This is one of the ones I skip because I don't actually understand where in the Bible it comes from. But uh, there's a line in that prayer, and it goes like this. Um, it, it says, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. Now, I'm not a Catholic, so I don't want to claim that I know what was intended when that prayer was written. It might be totally cool. But that concept that I need to somehow become worthy of the promises of Christ. I know people who've lived versions of that prayer. I've lived versions of that idea. Perhaps you're at home really grateful for the fact that you can attend church anonymously and no one's going to see you walk through the door at a church and start going, oh, who's so-and-so all big for his boots now claiming to be holy? Because if you turn up at a church, there's some idea that I have to be worthy to be here, that I've got to somehow prepare myself earn something, make myself worthy of the promises of Jesus, that prayer, that line, that idea, I've lived it, I know many people who've lived it, and it is bogus. The technical term for that is it's heresy. It's the opposite of what the Bible says, because you can't make yourself worthy of the promises of Christ. You can't make yourself saveable. There's nothing you can do, and with the greatest respect, there's nothing Mary can do. There's nothing anyone can do to make you worthy of the promises of Christ. But... 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. It's God who enables us along with you to stand firm in Christ. It's God who commissioned us and he identified us and he placed his Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment of the promises, of the guarantees that he will give us everything he's promised us. You don't have to make yourself worthy of Christ Jesus. This is not one of those God helps those who help themselves deals. There was some sowing and reaping that went on around your salvation, and God sowed his son into the ground so he could reap you. When it comes to your salvation, um, the tension between God helps those who help themselves and you need to um, just let go and let God, or maybe better put, let go and just cling on to Jesus, it's the latter. And here's the big reason I want to labor this, is because if you come at your salvation with the sowing and reaping mindset. If you come at your salvation with the God helps those who helps themselves mindset, if you allow yourself habits built on that way of thinking, if you're gonna pray a prayer every day like, oh, Mary or somebody, please make me worthy of Jesus, you will end up insecure. You will end up legalistic. I know I would. I couldn't pray a prayer like that every day and not end up outwardly proud and inwardly ashamed the whole time because of a prayer like that. So, Picking the right one of these assumptions and applying it to the right area of your life is crucial. If in this area of salvation, using the God helps those who help themselves shortcut is the wrong program to install for that area of your life, what about in other areas of your life? Might it be that in other areas of our lives, we're using the kind of God helps those, sorry, the, the, like go with it, go with the flow, trust God, let go and let God concept, when in fact we should be using another one. 
I think there's a whole spectrum from your salvation on one end to where we're actually getting in the sermon on the other end, where it's a bit of both. So I'll very quickly talk about, seeing as we've just been speaking about your salvation, how do we go about telling other people about Jesus and seeing them come to know God, right? We're running the Alpha course. We're doing something. We're making an effort. We're sowing something by putting that course out there, trusting that you, if you've got questions about Jesus, will make an investment in your life, do something about it, join up to that course, ask those questions honestly and, and intently, and allow God to meet you. So is reaching the lost, is introducing other people to Jesus a God helps those who help themselves kind of deal, a sowing and reaping kind of deal? Well, I think it is, but there are scriptures to kind of go in both directions. So Jesus says in John 6, no one comes to, the, to me unless the Father draws them. Oh, okay, so it's, a, it's just a let go and let God deal. Maybe pray for people. Yeah, except that in Romans 10, Paul says, how are they going to believe in, they, in him who they haven't heard of? How are they going to hear about him if no one goes to preach to them? How are they going to go and preach to people if nobody sends them? In other words, there needs to be a community of faith that lives out this message, which then sends you out to speak about this message so that when people hear about God, believe in him, they then have a family to have a safe landing in where this message is being embodied. So it's both. It's a subtle, beautiful, mysterious mixture between what God is doing, his job, and what you get to do. And that is ennobling. That's exciting. You have a role to play in this massive thing, raiding the hearts of people out of the clutches of death and introducing them to their father and into glorious life. What an incredible thing that I get to be involved. Now, there's other stuff, your finances, your gifting, your marriage, etc., that are probably all a mixture of these two. We're not going to go into any more detail. The only helpful thing I think I might say is you should probably do the opposite of what comes naturally. So you have probably got a default towards floaty, go with the flow, it's God's problem, not mine, or over-responsible, this is my problem, not God's. You probably have a default towards one of those in areas of your life. And if there's an area of your life where you're wanting to see more fruit, more breakthrough, if you want to see the 2021 version of that area go better than the 2020 area went, can I just suggest to you that it might be time to go, well, I've been taking a very hands-off approach up until now and just trusting God. Perhaps he wants to engage in a kind of growing up conversation with me about stuff that it's actually your responsibility to do, some stuff you actually need to sow in that area. And perhaps other parts of your life have been causing you stress and you've been gripping them hard and you've been trying to take responsibility and you've been trying to do all the right stuff and be the one that God can help because you're helping yourself. And perhaps the big adventure of 2021 is for you to go, let go and let God. I'm not going to trust on my own understanding here. You will have a default in different areas of your life. And I suspect that the answer is always going to be in doing the opposite of what comes most naturally. But I really want to get to one other big and quite exciting part of your life. There's an area of our lives, I think, where we all default to the, hey, maybe I pray about this from time to time, but mostly I'm just not even paying attention to this part of my life. It's a part of my life I've had on autopilot. It's a part of my life I've just been trusting to dumb luck or the goodness of God will just sort itself out. And it's a part of your life that hurts you more than you had any idea it does. It's a part of your life that influences much more of how your day goes and how your relationships go and how your work goes than you dare dream. And if you were to really take seriously the impact of this part of your life on how much you enjoy your life, I think we might stop letting it just go with the flow as much as it does. And 2020, I think, proved to us that we've been leaving this area unattended for long enough now. And it's your character. It's the area of your character, 
the content of your character. See, I think this is the opposite of salvation. If salvation is fully on the end of the spectrum, which is that you do not have to make yourself worthy, there is nothing you can do or add to your salvation, it is a totally trust God end of the spectrum, I think the quality and content of your character is as far on the opposite end of the spectrum as is possible. That this is an area of sowing and reaping like no other area of your life. This is an area where the efforts you make and the steps you take are equal to the amount of fruit you're going to see. Hey, God can step in, do miraculous stuff. There can be a 30, 50, 100-fold harvest on what you put in. But again, I'm no mathematician, but if I put zero effort into this area, I'm going to see zero fruit no matter how much God was ready to douse it with rain and make it come alive when I started to do stuff there. The area of your character. What's a character? Character is simply what's left. This is going to be quite good, right? So you might want to listen to this, but character is all that's left when you've made a decision enough times that it's no longer something you choose, it's just something you are. That's what your character is. Those little decisions that you just make repetitively, that because your brain is looking for shortcuts, it often outsources to your subconscious, who really can't be trusted most of the time. And you make that thing habitually, repetitively, over and over, and if you do that long enough, in fact, not that long, what we know is probably about a month will do, if you've made that decision for a month, repetitively, it is no longer something you're choosing, it's something you are. Oh no, I, I am a truthful person, I just do those white lies from time to time. Well look, I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you. But when you've done enough white lying long enough, and I speak as a card-carrying white liar, then this is no longer just something that a truthful person does by accident. I am no longer a truthful person. The decisions you make repetitively add up to your character. So when someone says, well, this is going to be the biggest decision of your life, do I, don't I marry her? I want to say, well, the options you even have at that point, do I, don't I take this job? You only have those options because of the little, small, unloved, unnoticed, non-coronavirus, non-cared about decisions that you've been making repetitively up until this point, which means this is even an option or not. Who you are, the content of your character is happening to you all the time. And everybody else has a plan for your character. Can I let you know that? God has a plan for your character to make it beautiful and unique and amazing, but also very similar to the character of Jesus. How incredible. But your friends have a plan for your character. Your society has a plan for your character. Your enemy, the devil, if you're prepared to believe it, has a plan for your character. You know who doesn't have a plan for your character most of the time? You, me. We're the ones who are like asleep at the wheel. While everybody else is trying to mold our character with these small decisions we make repetitively. Hebrew rabbis, I'm told, uh, wouldn't ask you what you believed. They would simply say, I'm going to watch your life and then I'm going to tell you what you believe. You know, I might say I don't believe in gossip and I don't want to be involved in it. And yet the small habits I'm making land me in situations where we're talking about people who are not in the room and I'm not doing anything to stop that conversation or disengage. And at some point it's like, well, what I say I believe and what I'm actually doing don't line up. My character isn't, isn't connected to the stuff that I really want to live out. There's some habits to pay attention to. There's an opportunity for me to align the content of my character with the plan God has for me. And the good news, again, a month of doing this, and you've sorted it out. A, char a, a, a character fault that you thought was like a permanent thing in you could be as simple as a month of habit fixing, where you sow some stuff into the ground. And then, of course, we allow God to make it rain. We allow God, the Lord of the harvest, to do something miraculous and cause 
30, 50, 100-fold fruit in that area where you turn out to be everything you were designed to be, and it took far less effort than you thought it would. But assuming that this is going to be one of those, I just pray to God and he fixes my character things, is like if God has told you, maybe someone whispers in your ear that he's given you an incredible musical talent, that you're the best trombonist Durban's ever heard of, right? But you're never prepared to pick up a trombone and practice. If your character is simply the choices you make repetitively, then no matter how much God wants to change your character, it's going to involve some choosing and some repetitive choosing. And so just like the obnoxiously talented, incredibly able musician still needs to practice, so your character, which God has a whole lot in store for, needs to be practiced. I've been chatting to a friend of mine, Grant Hazel, who is a character, also in the other sense of the word, he's just a character, right? He's just different. Um, but he, he's got some amazing insights on habits and rhythms of life which have unlocked stuff for him in his life. So you're going to get a chance now to meet my nutty friend, Grant, and listen to the incredible wisdom that he has in this area. Enjoy. Um, Grant, as you actually probably know, uh, the Chinese have this proverb, right, um, that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time to plant a tree is right now. Um, now, we're talking about habits, and I think the same kind of applies to habits. The good news, though, is it doesn't take 20 years to establish one, actually. Sometimes we might think that, but the uh, behavioral psychologists tell us it can be as little as 40 days to establish a habit or break one. So I watched you last year, and you had planted a few trees already uh, that seemed to stand you in good stead. In other words, you'd established some habits that, that blessed you during the course of last year and all the all the fun that that was. Tell us a few of them. Tell us what was already in your life that, that you were grateful for. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's a great proverb, and, and it's true. Um, you know, we, we plant stuff today for, for the future, and uh, it's a process. It's like a, the Bible says it's fruit. And uh, I think one of the things for me is that I've always been an early riser, and uh, it causes problems in the family, but I like to get up really early. And over the years, I've developed this habit, this rhythm of getting up early, I make myself some coffee, I've got my binocs, my Bible, sometimes my camera and a book of poetry and I just go downstairs and, and I just spend time with God. That's my, that's my time and it varies. It, it can be half an hour, some days it can be if the weather's good and the birds are good, it can be two hours. And I just love having a chance to maybe read a psalm, just spend some time with God, enjoy my coffee. And, uh, and that, that's been a habit that really helped in 2020. You know, we all needed help in 2020, yeah, yeah. we know that. So that was something cool that, that, that helped. Um, something else that helped was um, I discovered this cool little app by this guy, John Elridge, who um, he's got this app called Pause. And all it is, it's twice a day, it gives you a reminder on the phone and just slows you down for a minute. And it's got like this little prayer and you look at your screen and you think, and it's great. And my daughter and I sometimes driving in the car, pause and you pause. So helpful. Yeah. It's a good habit. And, yeah, uh, you showed me that app, and I yeah. loved it. I recommend everyone download it. And you can customize it to how often in the Absolutely, day. Absolutely, how, how long, long it is and all the rest. So you can tailor it for yourself. And uh, yeah, and then perhaps another, another habit that I got into, because I had time on my hands, as some of us did have, was just taking time. And I would write five or six names down of people that I knew. And I would just phone them during the week. And just got into a habit of taking five or ten minutes to phone someone, how are you doing? and to encourage them. And that's just such a great, the Bible tells us they didn't have phones, but encourage one another. Yeah. And so yeah, that's some of my good habits that yeah. I think have helped me over 2020. 
and it will help in 2021. That's an amazing thing to have established. I also got to do some phoning, and more importantly, I suppose, I got to receive some calls from people like you and you, and the encouragement of having someone deliberately reach out. So I'm sorry to get this picture of you sort of bird watching in the morning, reading poetry, that's pretty alarming, um, and, and spending time with God, calling people up. I mean, have you, are you kind of telling us Basically, you've arrived. Like you've you've got life sort of figured out. That you're, I've, I've probably no no, <laughs> I haven't arrived. You know that. Um, that's the Instagram version. That's yeah. that's the Facebook version. That's what we post. You know the, yeah. the gin and tonic and a tropical island. Um, <laughs> speak to my family, and you'll get the real deal. So yeah. maybe after this, you can post Sandy's number, and folk can find out. <laughs> Your inbox the, is the going to be great. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that is not that idyllic thing. Um, those are the bad habits. Those are the bad practices and the bad things that are still being worked on. I'm, I'm trying to work on them. More importantly, God's wanting those things to change. Okay. Um, you know, I just think I'm a compulsive um, media absorber. I take around yeah. stuff and like that. Um, there's some more deep things there. There's issues that sometimes pop out, even after a good morning. Of uh, You get frustrated, um, you get cross, you mm. curse a taxi driver. You'll get angry with the family member, you'll yeah. say something, and that, that's just what's in the heart is coming out. Yeah. And so, to answer your question, there's a lot of work still going on inside Blonde Hazel, um, and yeah, it can be painful, but it's necessary. Yeah, I'm really interested in, I mean, you were speaking about the proactive habits, the sort of behaviours that you've, or the rhythms, that was a really great way yeah. to describe it, good things you do, but there are also our reactive habits, which is a little bit what you're describing now, the way we allow the white lies or the frustration or the competitiveness or the defensiveness or whatever to, to come out of us before we've even thought about it. And that's also a habit. And yeah. Now, the, the fixing of those, the fixing of our characters, I suspect we're talking about, I want you to describe to me how God actually works in this process. Because everything up till now has basically sounded a bit like self-improvement, yeah. you know, do more good things, do fewer bad things. But the Bible has all these promises of the grace of the gospel actually coming to our rescue and fixing us. Yeah. How does our habitual effort, our obedience, and the grace of God yeah. intersect when it comes to this stuff? Well, it's a great question, that, uh, and I think it confuses many Christians. We, we live between not wanting to be legalists, and then we don't want to be on the other side of license, where so just anything goes. Um, Habits by nature are just very powerful and they're hard to break. The good news, and this is the good news I believe that the gospel is that the good news habits can be broken. Yeah. I mean, Jesus fully expects that once we come and start to walk with him, he's going to change us. He's, he's, he's working on us. He's going he's to conform us. I love that scripture in Corinthians where we've been changed from glory to glory. I want that. It's necessary. You know, those around me want to see a more glorious grant, not for mm -hmm. my own sake, but because better to be around and so habits are powerful but they can be broken so I just love a quote from Dallas Willard the late Dallas Willard where he says grace is opposed to earning but not to effort and for me that's been perhaps my little one-liner that whenever I feel I'm conflicted I'm thinking what well grace is opposed to earning so you can't earn salvation the Bible is clear about that you cannot work our way into heaven we can't work our way into being better people we can do certain things but that's that's surface stuff um, salvation is all about God and what he's done. That's, it's 100% God. It's the Lord who saves. You think all over Isaiah, all over the prophets, God saves. He saves his people. The flip side of that, of course, is that 
Grace is not opposed to effort. And we see that all over the New Testament. Uh, you know, he, Paul paints this beautiful picture of God's goodness and his grace and his promises. And then he says, do this, do that. Make sure you do that. Take off the old, put on the new. Yeah. So that's how I think they marry. And so we, 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 it's not an either or, it's a both and. So when someone says to me, Grant, where's God in this? Well, it's both his power and it's both us working with him. I just love that in, in, you know, in John, uh, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he, he's got this wonderful uh, sentence uh, that he mentions. He says, I'm going to be going. But he says, don't worry, I'm leaving. And I think, what? You're leaving? He said, I'm going to send another, a paraclete. And the paraclete is just someone who draws alongside us, weak humans, and, in, and helps us and enables us to live the life that God wants us to live. Yeah. That for me is it. Yeah, and we can find him in those rhythms more beautifully than maybe anywhere else. Absolutely. You know, in the morning with my barnox watching a bird, mm. the parakeet is there. It's just wonderful. I'm um, so convinced that the Holy Spirit is waiting right now for you to go, oh, there's some stuff that can actually change at last. And I've been going, oh, Jesus, just do this miraculously without me being involved. And you are so respected, so honored, so loved that God is going, I'm not going to do this until you are involved. But he's waiting, he's ready. And if I'm prepared to sow a bit of seed, a daily habit, a daily rhythm, just watch how much rain's gonna fall, how much life he's gonna add, how miraculous the harvest will be as you choose to make that consistent decision in one direction. This is kind of summed up all over the New Testament as Grant and I were mentioning, but I love Romans 12 verse two. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's like God's given you a new heart, but you've still got the old mind. But there's some stuff that can be done to just get it out of the way where it's tripping you up. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's an amazing then. It's an amazing bit of logic. You'll be able to know the good, pleasing, perfect will of God in every part of your life, in those business decisions, health decisions, marriage decisions. You can know how transform your mind, change your character, do some of this, get some of that other stuff out of the way and put some new stuff in. And so every morning what my habit is, when I'm lonely what my habit is, when I'm hungry what my habit is, when I'm offended what my habit is, when I'm bored what my habit is, all those little things where you're constantly outsourcing those decisions to your subconscious, it's time to start to pay some attention to them. Now, how do we get out of the realm of theory into the realm of practice? The Creative team have uh, invited me out into the real world. So we're going to leave the comfort of theory and church and head out into the real world. Will you come and join me? Uh, and as we go, we're, we're heading out to the coffee shop. Uh, and this is kind of symbolically, we're going to where the real life happens. Uh, and they're going to throw some questions at me, some decisions that you're going to have to make. And as we make these decisions, we're going to see what we do automatically or deliberately in response. Okay, so... Welcome to the real world. Welcome to the coffee shop. Uh, the streets are out here. The birds are out there. The, the Durban is going on. And in front of me, I have some blocks that have some information, some experiences written on them that you're going to help me imagine uh, you're experiencing. So this is, this is blocks of your day that come at you. And what we know we do is more often than not, as I said, because our brains are trying to find efficient ways to live in, in this world, you can't be paying attention to everything. So your brain is very stingy with your attention. 
and spends a lot of time making decisions for you before you've even noticed. Automatic decisions that you don't even get to be involved in. Habits. And by the time you're aware of where you are, you've already made a set of decisions that you weren't involved in, you didn't get consulted on. And it takes quite a deliberate effort to bring those things out of the automatic into the deliberate, into the space where you get to deliberate on them. I will also say that there are other areas of your life where you are doing too much deliberating. You are fussing and going back and forth on whether you do or don't leave WhatsApp. And it's like you actually get to make some proper high-level decisions based on what you believe, based on the character you want to have, which means that then every time someone throws a conspiracy theory at you, or a genuine one if it is, you have a default response. You can automatically stop wasting time on whether I do or don't get revenge on this person who hurt me and I'm gossiping about them and lying awake at night thinking about them. It's like, no, I actually made a decision. I'll give you one other example before I see what's coming at me. In marriage, almost all of the fights you end up having in marriage are around fairness, actually. There's so much competition for resource inside a marriage that as you live in a marriage, if you can do what Philippians 2 tells us, which is to have the same mind that Christ had, which although he was equal with God, didn't consider equality something to be grasped, I've tried to deliberately apply that to my life. And then nine times out of 10, when I find myself getting hurt by my wife, finding myself wanting to fight with Ben, I'm trying to establish an automatic habit now of going, well, let me not think of myself as someone who deserves some special treatment. Let me not get too proud or too competitive. And I can automatically apologize, automatically be gracious, and solve something quickly, which in the past used to be a whole fight and then a whole marriage counseling process and became really del deliberate. Now I can make it automatic. So I hope you understand. We can be automatic about stuff that in fact deserves our attention. We're making bad decisions over and over. We can also stop being automatic about some stuff that we're deliberating about far too much. And it's time to just establish a good habit and be done with it and not go back and forth over and over do I wear my mask? Don't I wear my mask around this person, around that person? Do I trust them? Now we've had coffee. Now suddenly corona doesn't exist. Or you wear a buff. Don't even get me started on the buff wearers. And it's like, just make a decision. Decide. And then you can be automatic about stuff that you're currently freaking out about. Okay, so let's see. We're going to experience some moments of life and decide if we're going to be automatic or not about them. First option, birds chirping. Okay, now this we know goes into the automatic box because you just don't hear birds chirping. How sad is that? You are unaware the whole time. A lawnmower somewhere the same. You don't, even, you don't even know. You're not even aware of the lawnmower that's going on. A taxi music followed by the sound of hooting. Now, unless it's very close, you're also just tuning that stuff out. So unless you decide that you want to start paying a whole lot of attention to taxi violence and the treatment of people on the road, automatically your brain's just going, you don't need to know about that, you don't need to know about that. A telemarketing call. Now, too often people put this in this, I, <laughs> I know someone who takes it upon themselves to sarcastically string the telemarketing person along, tell them some other person's name, give them the wrong cell phone number, and it's like, cool if you feel like being that person. But you can also just go, I don't buy stuff over the phone. Automatic decision, I don't have to waste any more time or be bummed with this person for wasting my time, etc. Okay, the next one, you find yourself alone with nothing to do for a moment. Now, this would normally go into the automatic box because automatically when you're alone with nothing to do for a moment, you pull out your phone. But what if for a moment you don't want to do that? What if you're trying to establish a different habit like Grant's been speaking about? Well, now I'm going to have to whoa, 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 catch it just before it goes into that box and deliberately put it over here and go, when I'm alone for a moment, I am going to maybe, block number one, listen to the bird. <laughs> maybe I'm going to get my Bible out. Maybe I'm going to just breathe for a second and empty my mind and figure out what my heart is telling me. 
So I can deliberately do something that I used to automatically do. A pretty girl walks past. Now, blokes, automatically your subconscious, which can't be trusted, may well be telling you to watch. Here's a little hint. There is this old saying that the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's a cool saying. It actually doesn't go far enough. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, yes, but she is most beautiful who you behold the most. And so I can spend a lot of time allowing my eyes to tell me something that I can never have is very beautiful, or I can let my eyes keep telling me as I behold someone who I do actually have access to and who is trusting me not to hurt her, my wife. I can stare at her more often, and she can become more beautiful to me. So this isn't some prudy, pious, or I'm just going to bounce my eyes because I'm holy Joe. I've finally figured out, once I took this one back from my subconscious because it kept on causing me to do the wrong thing, that there's nothing new for me to see there as that pretty girl walks past. But I can train myself to want something that's actually bad for me and is going to be bad for my family. Or I could just bounce my eyes off that and know that I get to make some deliberate choices. So this is going in here. Deliberate choices that actually lead me towards more joy and more happiness. Cool. Uh, number seven, Facebook tells you about a great injustice happening in politics somewhere. Normally, this goes into, hmm, where does this go? We sort of automatically decide that this is our problem and this is our business. And then we very deliberately start trying to recruit people to our cause. And I don't want to tell you what causes are right or wrong. I just want to let you know that I, after having wasted enough time on this, decided I'm at these times going to engage this much with politics because I do or don't want to be an aware citizen. And when I want to engage with politics, I'm going on my terms to these few outlets that are trusted and that are going to give balance. And so I'm going to deliberately go and get political information when I want it. And if someone else turns up on Facebook telling me what I'm supposed to believe or care about or be outraged about, I've tried to create a new automatic response, which is just not my problem, not my circus, not my monkeys. Okay, number eight, someone corrects you during a work conversation. Again, this is a slightly subtle one. Our automatic response is to feel offended, which then causes us to spend loads of time at night deliberating about that person. Now, this is a little bit like the, like the marriage example that I gave you. I'm not going to consider myself more highly than I ought. I'm not going to have the same mind as Christ, which isn't fighting for number one. And I've also decided to assume, and this is easy to say, hard to pull off, I've decided to assume that people probably aren't being as evil as I thought they were being. That generally speaking, if I had to choose, my worst case assumptions about what they were doing are probably not true. The truth is probably somewhere in between they're innocent and they're evil. And so here's what I do. Here's my sort of default. If I'm not going to think about it again, I then don't think about it again. If I find myself thinking about it again, I send a simple text, which here's a generic one you can use. Hey, so-and-so, I want to catch you to chat about something that happened in that conversation today, which I just want to clear up. Please let me know when it's convenient. Send, done. I'm going to now know that conversation's coming. I can't avoid it. I've let them know enough, but not so much that they're going to get freaked out, and we're going to end up having a meeting of the mind. So there's an automatic decision that you get to make which avoids deliberating for ages versus the old automatic decision. I hope that makes sense. It's the end of the day, and you feel tired. There's so much dumb stuff that we do at this point. I won't waste your time with loads of examples other than just to say that Netflix doesn't have to queue the next one automatically. You can change the setting uh, so that you actually get to have a choice in whether you watch the second, third, tenth, eleventh episode. Um, but at the end of the day, when you feel tired, I sometimes now force myself to go for a run if actually the tiredness is emotional, not physical. Um, but you get to deliberately establish some habits because what you do when you're feeling lonely or feeling tired 
is almost always unhelpful and you are probably sabotaging yourself. So new habits over here when I'm lonely, I talk to God or I deliberately phone someone up who I want to connect with. If I'm feeling tired, if I'm feeling exhausted, I need to be on my alert because that's probably when I'm going to do something dumb. Okay, we're running out of time. I, I, I hope I survived the, uh, the real life experience. I want to leave you with one, with one text and it's Jesus talking and he's saying from John 15, remain in me and I will remain in you just as no branch can bear fruit by itself without remaining in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I have all these habits that I currently have in my life. Some of them lead me towards abiding in Jesus. Many of them lead me away. When I'm led away from him, I can do nothing. When I abide in him, I can do nothing but be fruitful. And so my encouragement to all of us this morning is to haul a few things out of the automatic and make them deliberate so that we can build some new habits this morning, some new rhythms. And then we're going to trust the Lord of the harvest to do miraculously on top of that what we could never have dreamed. And 2021 has no chance of looking like 2020 if we do that. Lord Jesus, please bless this community, bless these people. Uh, and I pray that as we allow you in and as we take these effort-filled steps you do miraculous, amazing, glorious stuff and turn us into the people you designed us always to be. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like to find out more information about Olive Tree Church, please visit our website at otc.org.za or email info at otc.org.za. We hope you have an amazing week.